0: The following Dharma talk was given by monastic Shoan Ankele at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shoan is a Dharma holder in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is given free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thank you for listening. Birth and death. I wanted to reflect on how death and taking refuge are part of our path. There are um, so many subtle teachings about birth and death. And um, then there's the way we encounter birth and death in this life, which sometimes is really not subtle at all. When I um, was kind of reflecting on my ongoing commitments and the theme, I thought, oh, I want to. See if I can practice noticing spring as though it's the last spring that I'll have. Who knows, (laughs) after all. And luckily it's been so far such a chilly spring, it's happening slowly, which is like the I've been checking the buds and they're kind of like in a steady state right now of like budding but not busting yet. Everyone's got their own way. And of course reflecting on death is like such a Buddhist practice. It can open the door. It's like both the relief of like looking unflinchingly at um, what we're afraid of, right? The cause underneath of like so much of our suffering. And also like a a good shortcut method to aligning our perspective with um, what's true what, what really matters. There's a um, song that someone introduced me to at a, a moment when I needed it, uh, a couple years ago maybe, and um, it came up for me as I was thinking about this. I'm just going to read some of the words. The, the song is called No Hard Feelings. It's by the Avit Brothers. When my body won't hold me anymore, and it finally lets me free, will I be ready? When my feet won't walk another mile, and my lips give their last kiss goodbye, will my hands be steady? When I lay down my fears, my hopes and my doubts, the rings on my fingers, and the keys to my house with no hard feelings. When the sun hangs low in the west, and the light in my chest won't be kept held at bay any longer. When the jealousy fades away, and it's ash and dust for cash and lust, and it's just hallelujah and love in thoughts, and love in the words, love in the songs they sing in the church, and no hard feelings. Lord knows they haven't done much good for anyone, kept me afraid and cold with so much to have and hold. No hard feelings. To take that last breath, to lay down at the end of a day, to move from moment to moment, not carrying, not burdened, not generating those hard feelings. You know, life is Dukkha, so we know hard feelings are sure to come, and sometimes in quick succession, and sometimes we're swimming in them so long it seems like they are the very water. Those feelings that come as bitterness or self-absorption, as anger, or anxiety, the fretful, blaming, critical feelings, holding a grudge, what's happening? What's happening when we let ourselves be taken over? It's like that soft, tender, radiant heart. shuts down, it gets like hard. We say hard heart, a cold heart, a heart of stone, <laughs> no heart at all. And we've each experienced that, the way it like drains your key, right? It's an energetic experience. We're like wrapped, bound, or dried out sometimes crusty, cold or sometimes just dim like it's barely flickering shivering wan thin you get the idea <laughs> that is not our true nature and you know one one way of appreciating um, practice is to uh, recognize, like, oh, that 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 heart wants to be free and open, healed, transformed, and we speak, you know, about clarity and insight and 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 wisdom as kind of the um, fruit of the path. But um, we also speak about compassion and the the abundant, boundless heart, the great heart of the bodhisattva. And the heart sometimes recognizes in a different way, in a very embodied way, that wisdom truth, that non-duality that one great body. Sometimes the heart is most direct. That um, verse, when the sun hangs low in the west and the light in my chest won't be kept held at bay any longer, when the jealousy fades away, And it's ash and dust for cash and lust. And it's just hallelujah. And love in thoughts. And love in the words. Love in the songs they sing in the church. And no hard feelings. I love that line. It's just hallelujah. (laughs) I mean, that to me is like taking refuge. Hallelujah. Hallelujah apparently was used in the Old Testament, and it's two Hebrew words, hale, and, um, which is like praise, and Jah, God, and then Christianity sort of like made the alleluia sort of blended it together more, I guess. I don't know, you know, that's an internet lookup. I'm no expert. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I like the, uh, the, uh, the, like. I think like, okay, hallelujah, like if we're not gonna praise God, I think it would be the three treasures. Praise Buddha, praise Dharma, praise Sangha, hallelujah, hallelujah. And can that arise even in those moments where it's like, ah, f- ah. praise Sangha? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> the other night, I came up the hill into our cabin and I said something to Gokan, like, I'm back. And he said, Hallelujah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, um, that, that, that heart, to soften that heart into love love and thoughts, love and words, love and the songs they sing in the church. That, that love, um, you know, in order to soften into love, we need to feel that we can. We need to feel that we can trust enough. So taking refuge and the practice of taking refuge is like a practice of of cultivating trust. We need to feel enough trust to be able to start to let go, start to soften. And that, like, taking refuge, you know, there's a way in which, um, at the heart, it's like, the teachings are pointing to, like, well, the refuge is, is always, always, already here. But we have to take it. We have to step, step forward. We have to reach out. The Buddha welcomed monastics into the Sangha by having them take refuge, it was that simple. They had to reach out and begin to cultivate, rely on, trust, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Dido Roshi said the word we translate as refuge is taken from the Japanese term, Ka. K-A consists of two characters. K means to unreservedly throw oneself into. No holding back, no way out, no safety net, harness, or rope. That's the way a parent rescues a child who's in danger. The parent does not think about themselves. The parent does not hesitate for a second. The second character, A, literally means to rely upon in the way that a child leaps into a parent's arms, trusting unequivocally. So, taking refuge, there's the words that we say, and then there's the feeling in our heart, and then There is the mystery. We are connecting with something. We call Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. But these are just words. When we throw ourselves into Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, when we rely upon Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, or learning how to unblock, how to let the light flow. And that practice of taking refuge unfolds over time. I remember one Ango, it was the theme. And as part of our Ango commitments, Shugen Roshi uh, encouraged the Sangha to make a practice of taking refuge every day, which before then was not something that I had ever done as a practice. And um, over time, staying with that as a practice over time, it really feels like there's such a, a deepening. You know, even in the very beginning, even if we're just like, just, just, just opening the, 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 the door of the Dharma for the first time, already there is a, we are, you know, starting a practice in a sense of taking refuge. It's like there's just enough faith and trust and practice that we're turning toward it Right? Maybe we're like reaching for books on the Dharma or um, finding teachings that resonate for us online or uh, beginning to establish a meditation practice, coming to a retreat. We we feel a pull and we're listening to it. We're moving toward. And then over time, how we're relating to those three treasures deepens. What it means to trust, to rely upon, to throw ourselves into really starts to develop. We find, oh, there is something to rely upon. When things become difficult, we have a practice. When we're working things through, we understand, oh, I'm in relationship with these people. I'm not going anywhere. I need to take care of this. We're learning what it means to practice our life, and we're learning what it means to practice our life through the three treasures, if you think about it. And hopefully, as we do that, our trust grows, And even when that trust is uh, ruptured in some way, that there is perhaps, hopefully, enough depth that we can find our way back and do the work of healing. Maybe that's why it's good that there's three treasures. So if you're on the rocks with one, you've still got the other two. (laughs) And then, like, it gets deeper than that, right? Gradually, gradually, we might get the sense of, like, oh, oh. That teaching on, like, the way moves through the way. Oh. The three treasures are our. Life. The three treasures are our body, heart, and mind. We recognize them everywhere. It's all taking refuge. I remember a few years back, I was wanting to um, deepen into my liturgy. Again, I think it was Ongo, I have to say. I think there's really something to this Ongo practice thing. Yeah. I think it was Ongo, and I was like, okay, I wanna like deepen into my liturgy practice. And I've mentioned this before, but I went to, um, I had uh, Daisan with Hojin Sensei, and I asked Hojin about like, you know, just wanna like bring more like liturgy, like more of that, like into my life. Like, I don't know, like more services or da-da-da-da-da, something like this I said. And she said, huh, I feel like I'm walking around all day, inside of a service. There are teachings on like how to bring forth, you know, what's the sort of quality of taking refuge and of it's a quality of devotion. You know, to take de- refuge with like the depths of your heart or like the marrow of your bone. And when I think about, you know, this being founding Sishin, thinking about Daito Roshi and, and the founding of the monastery, I think about that um, mysterious aspect and that, like, throwing into and relying upon the three treasures that feels like it's woven into that uh, story of, of him finding this property having the sort of boldness of heart to embark upon obtaining it and creating a sangha and a center from nothing. I mean, you know, that's really throwing oneself into, relying upon, and mysteriously, look what happened. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's like, for me, I don't know about for you, but for me, it's like the Sangha treasure sort of like stands out as like the one that's like, ooh, like the hardest one. (laughs) Because of other people. (laughs) Right? Yeah, other people. Other people, like other people, like, okay, like, not that reliable, actually. (laughs) We're all a little crazy. We're all sort of like, you know, finding our way. And uh, it can be rough. It can be rough. And it can be so powerful. Just this past weekend, we had um, uh, a training for the founding members of the Sangha Harmony Advisory Council. Shack, and um, I was reflecting on that uh, because of the um, what, like so. So basically, right? There are thirteen people who have um, agreed to serve on this new um, body in the Sangha, which will be an advisory body working. Um, in collaboration with the the teachers and the training office and the other leadership bodies, um, to help be a, uh, a a representative voice of the sangha, in um, in shaping the the culture, the life, and the training of our mountains and rivers order. And um, it's new, so it's being created and and part of what those of us who were envisioning this envisioned was like, oh, okay, let's like, really give this group a good foundation and, and how, that they'll, how they'll work together because um, they're really going to be creating this thing from, from the ground up. And so that aspect of like, having a trusting, coherent group um, that can work well together seemed really important. And we had learned the hard way um, what can happen when when that's not in place. And so we um, did did some research and and found um, uh, this organization, small organization, Center of the Heart, with um, two women who are the uh, co-founders of it. Ayo Yatande and Kelly Alexander and met with them to talk about them offering this training. And things all looked good. We really liked them, proposal, da da went back and forth, sort of refined what this training might be, so on and so forth. They did a couple Zoom sessions, those seemed like they were going well. And then this past weekend they came in person. And I say all of this to um, be a preamble to Wow, you never know the mysterious way that life might actually happen. Because um, I was not part of that training weekend. You know, I was just a resident going about my business. But like the light and love shining out of that sangha house was like lighting up the whole mountain. That's the sangha treasure. And I don't know a lot about like the details of what went on, but it was deeply connected and relational. And by the close of the weekend, the people who participated in it were glowing. And um, that has an effect. That has an effect. When one person's light is bright, it's warm. It warms you up. And then before you know it, you're a little brighter too. You're a little warmer too. And it spreads spreads like that. It makes us courageous, unafraid, because I think what we're tapping into is so much deeper and more real and more true than that limited, narrow, sort of hard-feeling realm. We're like connecting to the actual radiant light. It's moving through us. This is sacred. This is a treasure. Each of us can find that. We do find it. We do find it. If this is not your first session, it means you've come back which I'm willing to bet means you found it. When the light moves through you, when the way moves through you. So we practice, okay, like, whoa, okay. How did that happen? What did I do? We have to like bumble along and find our way through. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah. I I remember so clearly like doing Sishin in the early days and being like, having kind of like no idea like what was happening. Just being like, okay, something's like working. It took a while for me to be able to see like, all right, how does practice work? We don't have to see how it works in a sense. Although as time goes on, that can be helpful, can be part of using our, our mind skillfully. But like when, we're, when, we're, when the heart is open and able to flow, it's so the opposite of when things are sticky, that like ego sticky. Um, and, uh, and, and we can practice like letting go. In in his talk, I think on Sunday Shugen Roshi was talking about how um, you know have you ever like whenever there's an experience of suffering, like the self is at the center, like look and see basically, um, and 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 so we we condense around ourself right, and that sort of like shuts down the flow, and that's like very graspy, and whenever we're feeling like sticky or just like you know. I don't know, clingy, pissed off, resentful, all of those like feelings, like look and see dukkha. Okay, dukkha. And look and see like, okay, where's, where, where am I grasping? And if you ever have like practiced, like letting go in a situation, like in an interpersonal situation where you would normally grasp, it's exhilarating. It's like, you can feel like, okay, I would normally like do this and I'm not going to do it. And things just move through. It's almost like too much, like you wanna chase after it and grab it back after all and like, you know, (laughs) pout a little bit or something. (laughs) It's hard to do that because of course, we believe that our grasping is warranted. We believe that it's effective. Why would we let go? That seems like a risk that's probably not worth taking. But when we do, right? I remember in um, uh, a conversation with one of the seniors, um, she was sharing about a, a, a work situation where had, like things had gone wrong and people were really pissed and like, there was somebody in the office who, like, screwed up a Zoom meeting. We know what that's like. <laughs> and, and, um, and somebody else was like, you know, the, all the meetings were really, like, it didn't go well at all, and someone was really angry. And um, she just took the blame. My fault. So sorry, that was my fault. I'm so sorry. It was totally my fault. And what that does it totally disrupts the pattern the energy can disperse bodhisattva activity any time that we're showing up with authentic vulnerability with authentic humility with with respect for our fellow human beings with care That's a way of taking refuge in the sangha. This song goes on when my body won't hold me anymore, and it finally lets me free. Where will I go? Will the trade winds take me south through Georgia grain or tropical rain or snow from the heavens? Will I join with the ocean blue? or run into the savior true and shake hands laughing, and walk through the night straight to the light, holding the love I've known in my life, and no hard feelings. Lord knows they haven't done much good for anyone, kept me afraid and cold, with so much to have and hold. Under the curving sky, I'm finally learning why. It matters for me and you to say it and mean it too, for life and its loveliness and all of its ugliness, good as it's been to me. I have no enemies. I have no enemies. I have no enemies. Thich Nhat Hanh says, I do not have enemies. Even though they may have created a lot of suffering, a lot of injustice, though they have tried to kill me, to suppress me, they are not my enemies. They are those I want to help because I have become free. He said this. This is a, uh, I transcribed a portion of a uh, interview. And um, it's quite, it's like a, it's like, a, it's a very short excerpt. So I didn't, I didn't get the, the full context, but um, it's quite something. He's clearly like answering a question and he goes on, so he says, um, even though they may have created a lot of suffering, a lot of injustice, they have tried to kill me, to suppress me, but they are not my enemies. They are those I want to help. Because I have become free. I have changed myself. I have transformed myself. I no longer see myself as a victim. I know that if I can transform myself, I can help transform them. If you practice and if you can transform your mind, your heart, you become a bodhisattva. They are not my enemies. They are those I want to help because I have become free. I have transformed myself. That is completely taking refuge. To have transformed ourselves. And the field of transformation is our own heart. And we do practice that just working with our own mind, our own kleshas, our own judging, criticizing, accusing, blaming mind, whether it's directed out or in, it's the same. It's the same negative energy, truly. And then how to transform. How to transform, it's not a moment There are moments along the way, but it's like happening over time. You can't transform like that. It's not a magic trick. So it takes commitment. That's why we need refuge. So we can hang in there. We can hang in there over a lifetime as we transform ourselves. And it is difficult to build trust, right? I think of Daito Roshi saying, trust yourself. Saying, trust the process. We have to grapple with our mistrust and all the ways that shows up to see it for what it is. Even, even controlling, even trying to control our mind, to get rid of thoughts, ways that I think are inevitable to practice uh, at some point, maybe more more so in the beginning. That has to be transformed. That is not necessary. That is uh, not necessary. So you, you create, like um, Suzuki Roshi said, I think it was Suzuki Roshi, a, a bigger field, right? Don't keep piling on judgment. Just let it be. It takes time. It's hard. <laughs> but you know what? It's so worth it. It's so worth it. One little dose of patience, one little teaspoonful of forgiveness is such strong medicine because you see in that moment what's possible. Oh, if it can be like this in this moment, what's possible? Is this moment different? Is it special? Did I just stumble upon the one moment that can be transformed? No, no, that's taking refuge. One of the Desert Fathers said, if you have a heart, you can be saved. And in the book where I read that, the author says um, that the word save, which we use, let me remind you, that we, we use the word save, but she says the word saved comes from the Greek word for salvation, soteria, which has a connotation of wholeness and integrity, And she says, she glosses saved, meaning that our inner and outer lives are congruent and aligned. And when I think about that in the context of the Bodhisattva vow, to save all sentient beings, to allow them to be whole, to allow them their full integrity, they're already whole so we can take refuge in their wholeness. So sometimes it's good to think, okay, maybe I don't need to worry so much about insight. Maybe actually I can enter through the door of really softening my heart. This great heart of the Bodhisattva. Where is it, after all? Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.